Welcome to Radical AI, a podcast about technology, power, society, and what it means to be human in the age of information. We are your hosts, Dylan and Jess. Welcome to the second episode of Measure Mentality. In partnership and collaboration with the IEEE Standards Association, a collaborative organization where innovators raise the world's standards for technology. IEEE SA enables the collaborative exploration of emerging technologies the identification of challenges and opportunities, and the development of recommendations, solutions, and technology standards that solve market-relevant problems. If you are new to Measure Mentality, in this series, we interrogate the metrics of success in artificial intelligence by asking our expert guests a series of three questions. First, how is success measured today in AI? Second, what positive future can we envision with AI? And finally, what measures of success can get us to that positive future? In this episode, we interview Baroness Beban Kidron and Professor Alex Sandy Pentland to explore how we can best measure success for children's data and sustainability. Baroness Beban Kidron is a British filmmaker and an advocate for children's rights in the digital world. Beban spent 30 years as a film director making TV and film dramas. In the House of Lords, Beban sits as a crossbench peer, Baroness Kindren of Angel. She has sat on the House of Lords Democracy and Digital Technologies Committee Inquiry and the Lords Communications Select Committee. Amongst many other positions, Beban is the founder and chair of Five Rights Foundation, a charity that works to create policy and practical solutions to build the digital world children and young people deserve. Professor Alex Sandy Pentland co-created the MIT Media Lab and MIT Connection Science. He was key in creation of the GDPR and the Sustainable Development Goals Data and Accountability Framework, and he co-leads the IEEE Council on Extended Intelligence. His lab has incubated many companies, including the largest rural healthcare service delivery system in the world, the identity authentication technology that powers India's digital identity system, Adahar, and rural service outlets for India's largest payment solutions provider. As always, don't forget to stay tuned after the interview for our debrief of the conversation with distinguished co-host of the series, John C. Havens, from the IEEE Standards Association. Now... On to the interview. We are on the line today with Baroness Beban Kidron and Professor Alex Pentland, who goes by Sandy. Beban and Alex, or Beban and Sandy, <laughs> welcome to the show. We're going to kick off our first measurementality interview with the first question that we will be asking all guests. So Beban, this first one is for you. The question is, how do you think success is measured today in artificial intelligence systems? So I guess it's uh, measured by scale, attention, engagement, profit, um, and uh, we have a bit of a pile them high, sell them cheap kind of culture. Um, so I think that, uh, yeah, that's how we do it now. I guess I think that the, the, if you take those measurements as being your focus, then they have problems associated with sort of unbridled capitalism, which is that they squander resource without the concern for its sustainability or its societal impact. And, you know, if you think about what the resources are that are perhaps uh, well-being, our sleep, our attention, our inner thoughts, our behaviors, you know, those are in, in my world order, the equivalents of water or carbon or biodiversity. And, and I think that we can't continue to demand attention and, you know, and, and, and popularity and scale without understanding that we're outsourcing a cost, that there is a proper cost and, and we're outsourcing that. So, um, you know, if you ask me what I think we should measure, that's a different question. Well, we will get to that uh, shortly soon. So uh, Sandy, same question to you. How do you believe that success is currently measured in artificial intelligence systems? Well, if you look at the, um 
the technical side, the computer science, the machine learning side, it's always things like accuracy or, or receiver operator curves, things like that, on uh, training data or on example test data. And of course, that's where bias creeps in because the test data may not be representative of what you would like to have. Uh, and there, as uh, Bieben was saying, you know, there's no consideration of the human factors in there. There's also, of course, the business process. So AI is something that, you know, computer science, machine learning people do. Uh, and then there's business. And business is usually, uh, at the beginning, it's eyeballs. So number of clicks, amount of attention, amount of adrenaline, uh, which is a really terrible thing to be measuring uh, because... What that? I mean, what's the ultimate thing? The ultimate thing is people who are crazy upset all the time, right? Well, <laughs> maybe profitable, but it's not good. And then as, as companies mature, they move away from attention uh, to develop an actual cash flow sort of metric to these things and, and retaining. But again, um, that ignores all the quote-unquote externalities. Uh, it may make a lot of money, but if it kills people, it's probably not a good idea, right? <laughs> if it makes a lot of money and destroys the environment, bad. And so we don't measure any of those. And um, to sort of presage some of the things you're going to be asking, you know, there's a huge movement towards uh, uh, sustainability, but also things with labels like stakeholder capitalism. Um, and... What those want to do is begin to ask, well, not just about the money, but what does that do to all the, the resources we share in common? Like, for instance, um, the environment, the next generation. That's where children come in. Is This may be good for the environment, good for us adults, rotten for kids. And you know, kids are our future. And so you need to begin thinking about the society as an ongoing system and asking, what is this thing doing to the system as a whole? And, and have ways to quantify it because um, people end up not paying attention to things unless there's some uh, fairly solid statistic about it. And of course, what that means is you need lots of statistics. You need to know sustainability. You need to know... Environment, you need to know about you know uh, kids' development. You need to have measures of all this, which is where the the measurement part comes into the sustainable development goals. So that's one of the things I do is help form those measurements. And just to give you an example, uh, the sustainable development goals have 169 things that every country is supposed to be measuring. Uh, uh, it it's not just GDP. <laughs> and so let's move towards that positive future that you're looking to see, or at least helping to build uh, in terms of artificial intelligence systems. And because this is our episode on children's data and sustainability, uh, maybe talk specifically about that in your own work or in the uh, greater world. So Bibin, we'll start with you. What is the positive future you're working to build with artificial intelligence systems? So I, I come at this from someone who set up an organization, it's called Five Rights, and we have a mission to build the digital world that children deserve. So, so that sort of, it's, we want a digital world that, that is welcoming and suitable for. And, and I think there's a few things that you can say at the outset, which is that actually, as Sandy's sort of already begun to allude to, we, we have some ideas of what we like. We have rights and law and in culture. You know, we understand certain things already. And one of the things we understand is that kids have special place in our society and that we have a duty towards them and that they have specific vulnerabilities associated uh, with their age. So in relation to this conversation, you know, we have a set of expectations, measurements, if you want to call them, that are already set out. So, so my contention is that by applying 
the measurements or the expectations that we already have to the digital world, to automated systems, it gets you really quite a long way to where you need to go, right? So in our work at Five Ranks, we look at three areas. One is data and privacy. One is child-centered design and the other is children's rights. And in each of those areas, we set out measurements and expectations that we want um, the digital creators to attend to. And most recently, um, most recently, the thing that we've done is we've uh, set out an addendum, if you like, it's called a general comment. It's an authoritative document uh, to states that have uh, uh, ratified uh, the Convention on the Rights of the Child. And it says, this is how the Convention on the Rights of the Child, this is how the 54 rights that children already possess actually apply to digital systems, including uh, artific artificial uh, automated systems. And, and I think that that process, which actually took 14 nation states, hundreds of experts from 28 countries, over a thousand children, and two and a half years of drafting, uh, which was just adopted a week ago. So, so I think this is maybe the first public accounting of that, um, is it was an extraordinary uh, process of, of of consensus on the one hand, but actually of applying what our wisdom that we already have. And I think that I could go back and maybe in a moment we will revert to it, but, but you can do the same thing with data privacy. You can do the same thing uh, with child-centered design. You can start and say, okay, if the user is a child, what do they need? Yeah, where are they in that journey? What would be appropriate for them? And you get to a whole lot of different answers to the ones that we're currently getting to with this very, very narrow understanding of what good looks like. Could you give us a specific example of either children's rights or child-centered design or one of those principles in action and how it might change a technology, an AI technology that exists today? Okay, this is a really kind of obvious one, which is if, if you take uh, most of the developed nations and the kids are on, on certain sorts of social media platforms, you know them all, right? 75% of those have an automated system that introduce people to each other, including strange adults to kids. Now, if you took that offline and you go, we have automated a system whereby a guy can come up in a car and say hello to a to an 11 year old child and say how you doing you want to play yeah you'd think it was insane yeah you'd kind of it would be an outcry and the funny thing is i've actually made this argument with both tech leaders and with ministers of states and they go oh my god but that's literally what people you may know but quick ad etc cetera, etc cetera. that's what it does and because it does it based on geolocation, your interests, your, you know, uh, uh, where you've been before and so on, it's really, really easy to game the system. Because if you're an adult who's interested in children, you've been in the same places, yeah? If, if geolocation is a thing, you're actually uh, being introduced. Now, if you want to add in now the, the visibility of geolocation, you know, think about some of the tools that make someone's real time uh, location available to other users and think, oh, that's great. Now should we add in direct messaging? Do you, you get my drift? The point is that there's a whole set of things. And if you go back to what both Sandy and I said, right, which is they are geared to attention, geared to expansion, geared to, to um, uh, building the network, where you can see why all of those things work for those purposes and why none of those things work for an 11-year-old child who's just ticked a box and said, oh, by the way, I'm 13. Now, I would maintain it doesn't work for a 13-year-old child either, but, but you get my point. I can go through the system feature by feature and say, in the case of children, some of this stuff is actually positively dangerous. And I've got the stats, you know, I've got the stats to back that up, positively dangerous, and in cases, positively deadly. 
Sandy, uh, do you have a, either a response uh, to what Bevan said or an answer to the what is the positive future you're building? Well, let me, let me tell you a short story and then answer that question. So um, about a year, year and a half ago, we were part of a huge national experiment in the United States. It's a 20-year experiment where they took 5,000 kids that were at risk and they asked, can we predict which kids will be a, a fragile break, end up dropping out of school, going to jail, bad things happening, uh, based on data we can collect? And they took 5,000 kids from all across the United States, nice sample. They ran 750 uh, experiments by academics measuring grit, and IQ and any, any, I mean, 750 is like everything you can imagine, right? 22,000 measurements per kid, okay? And then we came in at the end with 160 other academic units to ask, okay, with all this data, can we predict how the kids will do? Sure, we are, my group one, we're really good at this machine learning stuff. We were terrible. We were Precious little better than chance. Uh, or actually, what I should say, there's a very simple mechanism which has to do with uh, uh, single bomb, racial, income. I mean, that's it. <laughs> okay. Nothing about the kid. Nothing about the family. Nothing about what the family does. None of this sort of psychological sort of stuff, right? Um, Another lab up the street uh, convinced our tax authority to let them look at all the data for these kids, uh, and everybody else too, actually, um, for, again, like 30 years. And it turns out that you can predict fragility. Now, they had to do things on the census block zone, the neighborhood-by-neighborhood neighborhood zone. It turns out you can predict fragility really well by neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And by what are the kids exposed to before they're 10 years old? After 10 years old, they're pretty well set, which is a little scary to begin with. But, but it turns out that the biggest factor is uh, exposure to people in your immediate environment that are successful in the sense that they have taking control of their life and they're making a life for them. Could be starting a store, could be running the local government thing, could be inventing something. Those were the things that mattered. Now, this is the result of big data, really big data, right? And, and what I guess the lesson I take is, is that when you begin opening your uh, perspective and collecting lots of stuff, Right? As an experiment, they're not as a daily thing. It may turn out that a lot of our ideas about what's important to kids are wrong. Or not maybe wrong, they're just not that important. Uh, whereas other things are. And so I'm very happy when I see, say, television programs or online things that show people like the kid taking charge of their lives and being successful. Because, oh, by the way, exposure of young girls to successful women has an enormous effect, but exposure of young girls to successful men has almost no effect. <laughs> exposure of young boys to successful men as a pattern. And we're talking very young kids, five years old. Exposure to successful ladies, no effect. So, so people, little kids, are locking into how should I live early on? And we need to give them positive examples. Examples where people survived, thrived, took control. Uh, and, uh, and that may be the most important thing of all. I just wanted to, to, to say how how interesting that story is, because actually that early years and, and child development, that's what we know. We know that, that to whom you're born and where you're born and what income family you're born 
and what access you have to people as role models are the key things. And I think that that Sandy's uh, point is is sort of mirroring the point that I'm making is that we're not applying what we already know to automate assistance. We're pretending it's a different world and actually exists within our world. And what I'd also like to add is just in case, because sometimes it sounds that I am uh, negative about technology, absolutely not. This is a question of uses, abuses and purposes. What are we asking of it? What are we measuring? And what do we want from it? And, and I, absolutely, um, I absolutely believe that, that actually, if we had said, these are the four things that we know about a child, is there anything else that we can do to get better outcomes? You'd start having a different conversation to the one which is, shall we predict? Because the, the shall we predict, uh, our recent example here in the UK was the absolutely diabolical outcome of the A-level uh, uh, algorithm last summer, which actually, if you were the kid, sitting in the library in your school in a bad neighborhood, yeah, you did not get the result you should because they took location as, as one of the, you know, as one of the factors. And so rather than being the kid who got away, the one that, 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 that Sandy's referring to and I would like to see, yeah, we got the kid who was squashed right back into their neighborhood. So I think we have to be very careful about what the question is. What are we asking of the machine, not just seeing it as a neutral thing? I mean, just to reinforce that uh, is that, you know, we have a lot of problems in our society with segregation, with existing systems. I mean, I'm not talking about digital at all, just the way we've been living for a century, right? And, and there was a great deal of optimism about digital systems to begin with, which has not really panned out. It has all these negatives. It didn't really do what we hoped. But it could be a whole lot better, and it could still be something that offers uh, not salvation, but a road to salvation or something like that. But it can't be something that is driven by profit and attention, for instance, right? And Sandy, you've done quite a bit of work also on sustainability efforts as well, right? And uh, so I guess another question that we're wondering is um, if the positive future that you are looking to build with AI is similar or different to this positive future that we're talking about with children's privacy and protection, um, if you see any similarities there or what that positive future looks like in general? Well, okay, so the you know, people are very scared about AI and, and data and so forth. But um, I think we don't know how to build a good future yet, okay? And I think that if you had to pick the almost like the number one problem in the world, it's corruption. People like pocketing the money instead of doing whatever or doing the short-term thing instead of the long-term thing. And, and how are you going to fix that? Well, the only two things that I know about are transparency and accountability. That's data. We need to know what our governments, our systems are doing, and we need to know over the long term, not just the short term. Um, and that's called science. <laughs> right? That's like asking, well, they tried this. How did that work out? Right? And having enough of measurements that you have some sense of what's the causal factors and what's not the causal factors. So that's the type of future that I hope we'll be able to construct, one where we can learn together what works and modify things to do it. AI is really just patterns in data. It's nothing magic or whatever. It's like Excel spreadsheets with adrenaline or something, right? Steroids, something. Um, and you have to apply it and control it by controlling the flow of the data and the actions that you take based on it. And that's accountability, transparency. And so the sorts of things that we help people do is build data systems that not just respect privacy, but also are accountable.
and continually accountable. One of the horrible things is that, you know, we're always discovering that 10 years ago we did this, like she was talking about the A-levels. It's amazing that they discovered that so quickly because usually we only discover it after we've ruined an entire generation. Right? We ought to be discovering these things right then so that we can begin to ameliorate these, these, uh, these mistakes that we continually make. What, what was great about the A-level thing is the kids came out on the street to object. They actually did the old-fashioned thing, which is they wrote a banner, put on their mask in the middle of COVID and said, that's not my mark. I'm a human being. You know, it that's was right. really interesting. I know. I, I was appalled that they did that. You would think that the people that run the A-levels would be sensible, right? But apparently they weren't paying any attention at all. Uh, and it's great that they got their uh, hands slapped that way. Can I add to what Sandy said? I think there's something uh, really, as well as uh, these sort of transparency and accountability, which I, you know, I, I violently agree with him um, on those two points. Um, I, I actually think there's something else that we're that we're missing, and and one, I think. My biggest point is actually about inclusivity and diversity, uh, because I think that this sort of what the world view is that you're trying to get at is constantly tripping us up. So when Sandy says, you know, we don't have a good version of the world, you know, for the future, I think a lot of that is uh, people have sort of very individual views of what a good outcome is for them, but we don't have a collective view. So I think that that actually, unless you've got people in the big tent, and we know that this is an area where it is dominated by a particular patch of the world, a particular gender, a particular class, and a particular uh, set of skills. And, and in fact, it's sort of trying to loosen that bond and have more people in the, in the tent is why Sandy and I work together, know each other now. You know, it, it is exactly that. So I think that's one important thing. I also think uh, there are a couple of other very key points. One is around health and safety. I think that we have to start having a bit of a polluter pays uh, issue. And if you if you cause harm, you have to be responsible for the harm and, and, and sort of go behind that harm. And, and the other thing that, that maybe makes me sound a little bit old fashioned, but I think that there's something here about the collective and, and about utilitarianism, that we've gone so far down the, the wall of an individual outcome, an individual um, news appetite, an individual uh, riches or access, that we've actually lost our sense of being, even in the room with our own relationships. <laughs> and, and that has a profound effect on children. And one of the saddest things, and believe me, I know many sad things that kids have said to me over the last eight years, but one of the most profoundly sad things I thought for us as a society was when I asked one child who I knew had been self-harming, I said, what makes you sad about your digital life? And I expected this whole thing over here. And she went, 143 days. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't understand. She says, I've been counting. It's 143 days since my mother looked me in the eye when I came home from school. She's always looking at her phone. Yeah, the attention has a cost. And I think that we are paying as a society a very big cost. So the polluter pays principle, yeah, and the health and safety principle, yeah, added to the inclusivity and diversity principle, added to this accountability, this transparency, then we start to begin to edge our way to something that might look like a future we might deserve, we might like, we might actually want to bring kids up in. Well, let me, let me uh, second that and add a, a little bit to it, which some of it is a little controversial. So one, one thing is um, this emphasis on the individual is, I think, uh, perhaps the most subtle and among the most harmful things there are. Um, we really are a social species 
if you look at our actions, if you look at our opinions and things, they are largely determined by the people that we interact with and value. Uh, and uh, that's something that has very deep evolutionary roots. There's a reason for that. And, it, and it's because if you have the right sort of social structure, you can have better collective action. You can be smarter. You can be more fit. The kids grow up better, <laughs> etc. right? Uh, acting individually uh, is not the way evolution made us. And there's good mathematical reasons even to believe that that's not the best way to go. Uh, we've forgotten that. When you go and you talk to policymakers, when you talk to all sorts of people, it's always individual, 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 individual. Um, but on the other side, another reaction we have, and this is a problem with AI and digital systems, is we try to make them uniform for everybody. Well, not everybody is the same. And in fact, different communities have different values. So the, like the sustainable development goals have all these metrics. But different societies might choose to weight the metrics differently. Right? And, and so um, it's like somebody said about the EU, one size fits none. Right? Now, so, so when you make things uniform, you inevitably marginalize a lot of people, the ones that just sort of aren't like the average. Um, and you tend to sort of think of everybody as being the same. That's right. why there's one rule. They're all the same, right? We're all rational individuals, um, except that we're not. And uh, I think looking towards a much more sort of community-based way of managing ourselves uh, is probably the way forward. And so that's the things that my research group, a lot of things I do, is focused on, is, is building, uh, having communities be able to own data about themselves, understand themselves, and determine their future by themselves in concert with other people. It's not like we're all going to break up into little warring states. But, but, um, but that type of local responsibility, community, uh, self-knowledge, and community joint action uh, is, I think, a lot more important than people give it credit for. So, so Sandy said something which you know, is really fundamental to the whole project and indeed the starting of why I do this work. I mean, for 30 years, I was a movie director uh, until, and, until the moment at which someone said, you know, digital technologies are, you know, there will be no gatekeepers, um, it, it, good for democracy and all users will be equal. Now, I think we've all got a few problems on the first two, but when they said all users will be equal, I realized, that all users were equal meant actually children who are one in three of all users, nearly billion users, are being treated as adults. And that was the root of the problem right then. So, so this idea that all users are equal is profound problem, particularly once you're talking about automated service, because what you're doing is automated systems, because what you're doing is automatically eroding childhood, automatically not giving them their rights, automatically uh, treating them in a way that is not in relation to their capacity or their development, or very importantly, like I started saying at the beginning, our expectations and our values, automatically destroying childhood. And, and that's why, you know, it's, it, it, it is not neutral. It can be fantastic, fabulous, the future, yeah? But, but it can be, and currently is, regressive, aggressive, and actually really denuding of the kind of flourishing that I, I talk on behalf of kids, but, but society more generally uh, should want and needs from this uh, technology. As we move towards uh, closing this interview, one thing I'm really wrestling with in this conversation is just how complex some of these systems are and how many different stakeholders 
there are from the international stakeholders to different, uh, either different genders or different ages, different generations. And sometimes it feels like we're not even speaking the same language on our measurements. And I'm wondering, as we try to bring that vision of a collective uh, world into being in terms of artificial intelligence systems or just technology in general, how, how can we measure that? How do we begin to speak the same language on some of these complex issues? Well, I use as a model uh, things that we all, we in fact do that way. So, um, you know, the original vision that, that you know, a uh, place where I see this type of vision uh, was in the vision that created the census. It occurred to somebody, we ought to know how many people live here. How many kids? What's the average income? How many sheep do they have? Whatever, right? You know, um, and we still take the census as being pretty much right. You know, yeah, there's stuff around the edges, but, but a lot of the discussion, people share those as facts, not interpretations. Uh, the reason for that being right, that's a matter of debate. But the fact that there's a million people here, yeah, okay, more or less, right? And so I, I think there's possible to make these sort of uh, measurements, and precisely what measurements you make, both mathematically and probably uh, from a discussion, don't really matter as long as you cover the territory. There's a lot of things that sort of co-vary with each other. There's different ways to describe it. You have to cover the territory. Right, the different effects that you're looking at. And I think the conversations need to happen within communities. And, and the model that I have there is like labor unions changed the way we thought about labor. Agricultural banks thought the way, changed the way we thought about uh, money. There were no banks before the farmers rose up, at least in the United States, I think it was elsewhere, and said, enough. We're, we're going to make our own bloody banks and do it the way we want, right? And then over a period of time, that worked out. And so I'm hoping we can have these sort of community-based efforts uh, that are analogous to the labor unions, to the agricultural banks, but around data and, and how we live. I, re I mean, I, I, I absolutely think that's right. And, 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 and I think that we have to be... Um, I think we have to be realistic. Uh, life is complex. Democracy is complex. Countries without democracy are complex, a bit less complex, but you know, it's complex dealing with them. Um, you know, I, 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 I think we have, you know, as Sandy mentioned earlier, we have the SDGs. We kind of came around that idea of here's some things that we want to happen. We have human rights, we have children's rights. Um, and I mentioned before, sort of, we, we, we have um, health and safety. And I think the labor unions, again, is a really great example. I think we know how we need to live together. Yeah. Uh, there are some basic things uh, that we need to make sure that the bottom doesn't fall out of some people's lives. And I think the one thing we haven't mentioned is that, that both in tech and in society more generally, we have seen um, an eye-watering sucking up of wealth and power into the hands of very, very few people. Um, and that is antithetical to a good outcome for most of us because that, that money doesn't, doesn't trickle down. It doesn't trickle down in the right way. It doesn't spread in the right way. And the very point that we made earlier about what is the life chances of a kid, the family they grow up into, and the income of that family, you know. So, so what we have to understand is we have a lot of complicated answers to a lot of complicated questions. What we've got to tackle now is the exceptionality of the business around the technology and relieve and release the technology to work for humanity. Yeah, that's the problem. It's almost like a political problem rather than a technical problem. Wow, well, Sandy and Bevan, we've covered a lot of ground in this short amount of time, but thank you so much to the both of you for doing the work that you're doing to help us create this positive future that you are both envisioning. And thank you for joining us today for this wonderful conversation. Thank you.
Pleasure. Thank you. We again want to thank our guests for coming on the show today and for a wonderful conversation. And we're going to throw it over to John C. Havens, who is with us as he will be with us for every outro to get his take. John, what did you think of this conversation? Well, first of all, I'm thrilled to be in the official outro with you guys. It is an honor. Uh, I think I was blown away, or I actually don't think I know I was blown away. That's also why I was so thrilled that they decided to do the show. Sandy is what, one of the top five often top three, sometimes top one, you know, data scientists on the planet and having someone who literally was the inspiration behind both the GDPR and the UN SDGs. What an incredible, and and, and I'm always amazed by him, humble uh, mind and heart, you know, from him in terms of why measurement is so critically important. So that was fantastic. And then Bieben, besides being a filmmaker for 30 years. So she's got this wonderful perspective on how to see different uh, aspects of value that sometimes are missed. And that metaphor, if that's the right way to put it, for kids is incredible. And then she is a powerhouse. You just do not mess with beeping. And uh, I thought your questions were great too, both of you. So I I was thrilled. and, And as always, I'm really overwhelmed by the two of them. So IEEE Standards Association, a key focus of the organization is about consensus driven decision making. And consensus-driven decision-making, however, has to be built on a sort of a common taxonomy or language or an engineer world. A lot of times it's called scope, right? So scope, uh, also data scientists, roboticists will use the term, what are we optimizing for? So really to be empirical about how to design these amazing technologies, there has to be an understanding of like, what does success look like? So in terms of a number of other reasons that IEEE SA is focused on this, is to mirror the, 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 um, the tools that we have with a consensus-driven mindset in this conversation, which then leads me to the second part of what I wanted to mention, and thank you for asking again, which is, what are we hoping listeners get out of this? And a key part of these three questions that we've put throughout this series that you're posing to our guests is that we also really need your listeners, uh, listeners and, and participants in the IEEE essay webinars to answer those three questions as well. It's really a call for participation, and it's a mirroring of our consensus-driven standards-building process instead of people being on a phone call or together in a room coming up with standards in a consensus-driven way. We're doing our best to gather your answers, meaning you, the listeners, to those three key questions. We have to know how you think, uh, what are the metrics for AI today? What should they be, in your opinion, and your expertise? And then how will that lead to a positive a purpose-driven future. I think that one of my immediate reactions to this interview was when Beban was telling the story about um, the child who was coming home to their mother, and it had been 143 days since the child's mom had looked her in the eyes um, because the mom was so captured by her phone. And it's interesting because when I initially heard that story, I was thinking, well, this has nothing to do with AI. This has nothing to do with metrics of success. And then after I thought about it a little bit longer, I was thinking, well, no, actually, this has everything to do with metrics of success because right now our metrics are about attention, like Sandy was saying, and our metrics are about addiction almost. And because those metrics of success have been so deeply embedded into these systems, the unintended consequences of them, unfortunately, are the attention of parents to their children or the attention of people to their community and their family members and close loved ones. And that was something that really just struck a chord for me because I think we often think about the immediate consequences of those decisions and we don't always think about the long-term unintended consequences that, that are impactful and harming people that we might not think about ahead of time. Yeah, it, it struck me just how almost simple, like what they are asking for in terms of measurement, in terms of design, right? This human-centered design to just like ask how technology is impacting people, impacting children, impacting our planet and how we live with it and our relationship with it. And it just, it's almost frustrating to think that it like can seem so simple and then be so complex to actually do it. And uh, I'm, I'm, star- I'm just, I'm 
sitting with that complexity and, and just the story that you told about just like the human psychology behind this, like how do we actually design for like liberation in the world for everyone? Um, and like, especially when we are talking about sustainability and, and children, like, I, I don't know if in my conversations with folks, whether children have been centered to the degree that they really need to be, because as Bieben said, you know, they, they are our future on this planet. Yeah, that story of hers, uh, to both of your points, uh, really resonated with me, especially as a parent. And I'm often struck how many, how many times people say like, well, kids these days, yada, yada, don't know about tech or, or the opposite. Kids are hyper tech, whatever. And I'm like, really? I'm 51. And when do I not have a screen in front of my face? And when have I not consciously been even looking up an article on parenting while I'm looking at my, my kid and like, hello, irony. So <laughs> there's this, uh, I think, uh, and forgive me, I'm, you know, forget which one he said, I think Dylan, it was you is metrics, right? Indicators, they can seem kind of, um, esoteric, you know, but then when you think about things like, uh, not to be morbid, but when are you going to lose somebody, right? If you know that someone's sick in your family, for instance, the metric of time becomes very different because you have this demarcation of a value. I need to spend as much time with them as I can. So you may have to take time off from work. Now, why I'm bringing that up is no one's going to argue with that, right? In the West, or I'll say in general, um, but you get time off from work or what have you. But what you're getting there is a formal cultural etiquette level permission to do something that in one sense is kind of like, really? I have to get permission to be, be with the loved one. But what you're kind of getting permission from is to uh, uh, fit within a structure where the metrics are primarily about certain things, you know. Um, and in that sense, there's a lot of stuff. And by the way, thank you both, because this part of the outro for me is also a great opportunity to talk about IEEE stuff and all that, uh, Standards Association. And there's a number of programs. Um, one, the acronym is called DITA which is about digital inclusion. And a lot of the, the focus there is on this type of stuff. You know, it's thinking about kids and framings of questions around values where uh, agency uh, is a, can be a, and that's what Dita also focuses on, agency can be kind of an esoteric concept uh, depending on who you're asking. But really that has to do with things like disclosure and communication. Right. Agency is like, A, I want to include Jess and Dylan because they're my friends or they're visitors to my site or they're going to be engaging with this algorithm. But then the deeper level of agency with someone like a child is also recognizing that you have to have understanding from the parents or the caregivers as well. And I should say also uh, Bieben is helping uh, IEEESA or vice versa because it's Bieben Kidron. You know, there's a lot of uh, standards projects that we have focused on children's data. There's one called IEEE P7004. There's also another uh, bunch, a series of standards, which is about, again, we'll call it data agency, 7006, for instance. And another one that's focused on giving people their own terms and conditions at an algorithmic level. These are all tools where I want to be crystal clear. These are not IEEE-SA or the people creating them saying, this is how parents, you should think about your children, right? That's up to them. But the tools to give parity is critical. And that's the same type of work that Bieben is doing and that so many of our different communities and projects are focused on and all of our stuff and my emails and your show notes, I think. All these things are open and we would love to have any of your listeners uh, join that work. Something that Sandy said that was really interesting to me in this interview was how utilitarian a lot of these metrics are, because I guess maybe that's the nature of standardization. When we make something that needs to be standard and global, we try to universalize it because that means less work. But um, that's really scary because that leaves a lot of people out. And a lot of, like you were saying, you know, if these are esoteric metrics, different cultures and different people based off of their situation in life, even different individuals will react differently to these metrics day to day, um, depending on what they're experiencing. And so the thought of a universal global metric for success is somewhat scary in that environment. Um, so that was something that, that stood out to me from what you were saying. Yeah, and just to your point, I, I think the question of we, the who the we is, is going to be really interesting to track throughout this series about who, who is the we setting the standard. Because sometimes I think even at the United Nations level, we can say, like, you know, we, the nation states, 
decided this, but also that, you know, that's not, that's not everyone in every nation, right? It's specific people at specific times who have, you know, different levels of, of power. Hopefully there's some level of democratic process or there's some voice of, of the people that are being represented at that level. Uh, but it's definitely something to, to think about, and I'm curious about what some of our future guests will say on that. The other thing I was personally reflecting on was how easy it can be to be critical of standards, um, how easy it can be to kind of like throw stones at it and be like, well, you know, the, it, this standard, this measurement doesn't include, you know, X, Y, and Z, which might be true, but just how difficult it is to actually come to some level of consensus or agreement about what those measurements are. And so I just, I had a lot of respect for Sandy and Bieben for the work they're doing, doing that constructive work, which in some ways can be just like so much more uh, difficult to, to do than just saying what's wrong with a measurement or with a system. And John, for uh, folks, besides emailing you directly, uh, for folks who are interested in some of these initiatives, where can they go to find out more or to get involved themselves? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, the main website is called ethicsinaction.ieee.org. And again, that's E-T-H-I-C-S-I-N-A-C-T-I-O-N dot I with three E's dot org. And that's a great uh, main landing page to learn about the different standards working groups and uh, some of the work I've just mentioned. But again, people can reach out to me with any questions they have. And again, love to have anyone and everyone. All are welcome. Everyone's got, we call it one vote, one voice, and it's consensus driven, right? doesn't mean everyone has to agree, but it does mean the majority of people agree, and that's how you can actually move forward and get work done. For more information on today's show, please visit the episode page at radicalai.org backslash measurementality. You can search for the series, respond to our tweets, and get involved by using the hashtag measurementality on Twitter and other social media sites. And if you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Catch our regular episodes every other week on Wednesdays and our Measurementality episodes monthly. Join our conversation on Twitter at RadicalAIPod. And as always, stay radical. <laughs>